if you would take your Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. I don't know about you, but I remember back when I grew up how we would often play with the neighbor kids. And um, you probably remember from your own childhood or your current childhood um, that a lot of times when kids play together and they're not playing with electronic devices, playing goes something like this. The kids gather together and they say, let's play. And they, they agree unanimously that they are going to play. And then they discuss what they're going to play and how exactly that's going to look. So we are having a conversation with the neighborhood kids about playing. And as we were playing um, we, we discussed, you know, how exactly we're going to play, and we are playing something with, you know, weapons of war. And um, so you try to discuss, you know, which weapons of war you're going to use. Uh, does one use a sword, and or does one use guns? And of course, one would always use a sword because that actually includes some cool action in your play, right? I mean, because you could pick up a stick and have it be a sword, and like, you know, you're lightsabering each other or, you know, sorting, and that's a lot more funner than, you know, having a a piece of wood that you go pew-pew with. Like, that's not cool at all. So, uh, the way playing always works is, you know, the person with the best rhetorical abilities uh, wins the argument, or the person with the, you know, greatest oomph in that band of children gets to choose how one plays. And so it was determined that we would use swords because that's way cooler than guns. And in the course of events, one of my friends got injured because he got hit with a play sword and was hurt. Not horribly, but he looks at us and he goes, that's why I said we should use guns. <laughs> All right, and, and in a very similar way, the book of Hebrews has been making an argument from the very beginning. And as the author of Hebrews is writing to this group of believers, he has been telling them, look at how great our God is. And he's talked about the greatness of our God in comparison to so many different things. If you looked, you would see that he's talked about the greatness of God in comparison to the angels. And he says, Jesus Christ is far greater than the angels. He looks at some of the patriarchs and he says, Jesus Christ is far greater than some of those patriarchs. He looks at the old priests and he says, Jesus Christ is a far greater priest than the former priests. Because they had to continually offer sacrifices year after year and they could never atone for the sins of of the world. They always needed another sacrifice. But now in these last days, what has happened? Christ has come and he's offered himself as a once for all sacrifice and the payment for your sins has been taken care of. And as a result, what he's saying is faithfulness is something that you and I must do now. Why? Because we have this great, great God 
who has sent his son and he has demonstrated that he is greater than all the other things that we would have looked at and go, you know, angels are pretty cool, right? Moses, that was pretty cool. But he says, all of those things pale in comparison to the greatness of God. So he says, faithfulness, do it now. I think that the big idea of Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 39 is this. Believers faithfully worship, hold fast to their confession, and care for one another. That is, I believe, the definition of faithfulness. So if you look at your Christian life and you say, I am not worshiping, then to some degree you are not faithful. If you look at your Christian life and you say, I'm not holding fast to the confession that I have, then in some degree you are not faithful. If you look at your Christian life and you say, I am not caring for one another, then you are not Let's read the text, and then we will explain it in some greater detail. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 39. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, here's the first thing. Here's the drawing near. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The second thing. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. The third thing. And let us consider one another or care for one another in order to stir up love and good works. How? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. This is what faithfulness looks like. Verse 22, 23, 24, 25. Unfortunately, he doesn't stop there. He's going to go on and he's going to say, there is also an unfaithful response, and that is demonstrated in verses 26 and following. For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy, on the testimony of two or three witnesses, of how much worse punishment do you suppose will be thought worthy those who have trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which we are sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And then he ends with this final exhortation for us to endure and to remain faithful. But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly 
while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me and my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which is great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. And if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. For we, but we, are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for its truthfulness. We thank you for your reminders to us of the importance of faithfulness and obedience in these days. We pray that as we meditate upon who you are, that you are far superior to all the other great things that have been recorded and come in the past in Scripture. But as we contemplate just how marvelous you are, that it would lead us to faithfulness in our responsibilities. And in your name we pray. Amen. A faithful response is where the passage begins. And as the passage begins in verse 19, he's addressing them. He has just spent the last two chapters, roughly, talking about the greatness of the new covenant. And how the new covenant that has been established under Jesus Christ is far superior to the old covenant. Why? Well, the old covenant required continual sacrifices. The new covenant has been accomplished by one sacrifice. And so he says, we have boldness through Jesus' blood to respond faithfully. And so in verse 19, he says, therefore, brethren, this is what you have. You have boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. And he goes on and he clarifies that this is a new and it's a living way. And it was brought how we're able to have this boldness. Why? Not because you and I are so courageous. Not because you and I know everything that will happen in the future. Rather, we are able to have this boldness because of who and what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. He died on our behalf. He paid the ultimate sacrifice. He suffered in the ultimate way so that you and I could boldly approach him. And so the author of Hebrews is reminding us, this is what you have. And your possessions are not yours, so you can simply glory in them and enjoy them and consume them as if all that is to be lived for is a consumeristic mentality. No, he's going to say that these blessings that you and I have, these blessings that you and I enjoy, demand something of our life. But he doesn't stop there. 
He tells us that we have this boldness, but he also says we have another thing. What else do we have? We have a great priest, and that great priest allows you and I to respond faithfully. A great high priest over the house of God. And so he's told us, this is what you have. You have boldness. Why? Because God has provided you with access to a new and living way. You have a great priest who has paved the way for you to have access to the house of God. And so now he's going to say, this is what you do. And this is what faithfulness looks like. This is what faithfulness looked like 2,000 years ago. This is what faithfulness looked like 1,500 years ago. This is what faithfulness looked like 1,000 years ago. This is what faithfulness looked like 500 years ago. This is what faithfulness looked like 400 years ago. This is what faithfulness looked like 100 years ago. This is what faithfulness looked like two years ago. This is what faithfulness looked like today. And this is what faithfulness will look like in the future. These are commands. These are imperatives. We cannot claim to be faithful Christians unless our lives are faithfully following these three instructions. And so what is faithfulness for you and I? He says faithfulness means we approach the Lord in worship. Look at verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What's he getting at? What's he explaining? He's saying, you have been prepared for this. This is what you have been set apart for. This is why you have been called out of the world. It is so that, in part, you can approach the Lord in faithful worship. Draw near. Worship Him. Adore Him. I think, yes, privately, but I also believe that there's a corporate responsibility for us to draw near to God. He moves on and he says, faithfulness also means we hold fast to our confession without wavering. Look at verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. What's the confession that he's talking about? I think it's referring to what we have believed. What is our groundwork? Why... Why do we gather? Because really, I mean, it's not nice weather out. Right? I mean, it's not. It'd be a lot easier to stay home and watch Netflix or Hulu or to just play a board game at home. Why do we gather? It's because of who Christ is and what he's accomplished for us. You and I were aliens before God. We had no hope, and yet God chose to send his son into the world to come and die for your sins and for my sins 
so that we can place our faith in his finished work and be united to him. He says, hold fast to the confession without wavering. Why? Why do we do that? Because we know God's <coughs> past faithfulness. That's what he tells us in verse 23. Look at verse 23 once again. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? For he who promised is faithful. He goes on and he clarifies two different things. The confession isn't simply that we believe that Jesus has died and he's paid for our sins, but there's also hope that goes with that. Nothing will take that hope away from you if you're truly a believer in Jesus Christ. And he also clarifies that you and I have seen Christ's past faithfulness. How have we done that? I think we've done that in a number of ways. As you and I look at the, the narratives of Scripture and we see how God has been faithful to various individuals in the past, as we see how he's been faithful in fulfilling his promises to Abraham. Did Abraham have reasons to doubt that God would fulfill his promises? How many 90-year-old people do you know that have kids? <laughs> exactly. And yet God fulfilled his promises to him. God fulfilled his promises to Isaac. God fulfilled his promises to Jacob. God used the situation in Joseph's life to accomplish his ultimate purpose. God is faithful. God is faithful in the life of Israel as they're going after and seeking their own way and they say, we need a king. We need somebody who's just like all the rest of the world. And what does God do? He graciously provides and faithfully cares for his own. And as you and I look back on our own lives and we see various situations that God has allowed us to be led through, we can look back on those situations and we can say, God was faithful in the midst of those trials and difficulties and he brought me through them. And so what is the author of Hebrews saying? He's saying, faithfulness as a result of the fact that you have boldness, as a result of the fact that you have a great priest, means that you will draw near in worship and means that you will hold fast the confession of your hope. There is something more than what 2020 and 2021 hold. And he's saying, hold on to what is future. Focus on what is to come. Not what is here. God will be faithful and will care for you and will provide for you and he will not bring you through any trial or any temptation that is greater than he will not care for you. But in the midst of this, remain faithful. Focus on the confession of your hope. Remembering that God has been faithful in the past and he will remain faithful in the present. And then he tackles this one in verses 24 and 25. In verse 24, he gives us the command, and let us 
consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. What he's saying there is faithfulness means we care about our brothers and sisters' spiritual growth. What I'm getting at is why do we gather? Hopefully, you didn't come here today to simply hear me speak for 40 minutes. Right? Because that's not what the author of Hebrews has in mind here. If you simply came to hear me speak, that's empty. That does not fulfill the commandment. When he says in verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, he's not concerned about what you're going to hear from the preacher. No, his concern is the command of verse 24. The command of verse 24 is that you and I find ways to care for one another, resulting in what? The stirring up of love and good works. We don't gather them primarily so that you can get. We gather so that you can give. You and I gather together. We congregate so that you and I have opportunities to get into each other's lives and to know what are the trials, the heartaches, the joys, and the pains of each other's life so that we can come alongside each other and encourage one another and strengthen our resolve together to pursue faithfulness in the midst of those difficult situations. It's not uncommon that I will go and I will visit somebody who is discouraged and I will share with them God's word. And as I share with them God's word, what happens? Hopefully they're encouraged. I think a lot of times they are. But sometimes at the end of me presenting the gospel and the hope that is in the gospel, I wonder if I don't leave more encouraged than they do and more resolved to live faithfully than they do. And this is the command. The command is to gather. Not to hear and to receive something, but to gather and to give something. And if we're failing to do this, the author of Hebrews says, we are not pursuing faithfulness. In fact, the author of Hebrews is so drastic in his understanding of the importance of gathering and encouraging one another in the body of Christ that in Hebrews chapter 3, what does he say? He talks about gathering daily. Oh my word. Like you'd almost actually go to people's houses if you had to do that. Like you couldn't have like a, a time where you like all gathered at one corporate location like this. The author of Hebrews has consistently made the case that you and I, for us to live faithfully, must gather corporate and must find ways to encourage and to stir one another up. I believe the, the, the passage is 3.13 in Hebrews 3. So we gather to give, not simply to get. We have covenanted as we come together in membership that we will serve 
and encourage one another. We don't come to church to hear a message and to be encouraged primarily. I think we primarily gather for fellowship in order to encourage and see to it that our brothers and sisters are growing spiritually. And if our lives are not characterized by a desire and opportunities that are followed through with, of faithfully following through on this mission, of caring for one another and seeing to it that we are spiritually growing as a result of our conversations, that we're stirring up love and good works, then there really is a missing component in our fellowship. We must gather. And we must gather in such a way that as we interact with one another, we stir up love and good works. To the extent that we do that, our lives are characterized by faithfulness. To summarize, the author of Hebrews tells us that we must respond faithfully to the fact that we have boldness and that we have a great priest. We do that by drawing near for worship. We do that by holding fast the confession of our hope. We do that by finding means to care about our brothers and sisters' spiritual growth. When one of those three or all of those three, or two of those three are missing, the author of Hebrews says we are not living faithfully. He goes on in verses 26 through verse 31, and in these verses, he's going to explain to us an unfaithful response. The book of Hebrews has a number of difficult passages. Possibly you have heard about them, uh, many preachers uh, avoid preaching through Hebrews because of the difficulty of the warning passages. As I was reading through the warning passage, you probably heard some of them. You're like, "Whoa, that is some strong language!" Like, does he mean you could lose your salvation? Because some of it sounds like you could lose your salvation in these passages, right? I mean, just read it. Read, read verse 26. Read verse 27. It's pretty scary stuff. For if we sin willfully, you ever sin willfully? Oh boy. All right. If we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Uh-oh. If there's no sacrifice for sins and we still with sin willfully, that means there is no sacrifice for sins. That puts us all in a very scary position, right? I mean, you could go back and go, well, I mean, look at the context. The context is... He's talking about these three specific commands, and I'm currently doing all those, so phew, I dodged that bullet. But, I mean, surely there's been a time where you haven't done one of those three. So how do we explain these warning passages? And there are a number of them. Okay, This is just one of them. Chapter 4 has a very strong warning passage as well. And as I've studied through them and I've tried to faithfully understand these passages, I think that the passage is pointing to the preservation and perseverance that you and I have. The preservation of God in that when we come to him in faith, he will preserve us and keep us faithful. Or that we will persevere through the trials. 
And if we look back on those trials and we say, you know, this person did not persevere, then what does that mean? It means they weren't a Christian. And so I think that these passages actually should, should strengthen our assurance that we are indeed in the faith. Why? Because we can look at them and we can say, I have sinned, yes. But I have pursued faithfulness. I have followed the instructions of verses 22, 23, 24. So what exactly is this unfaithful response? I think the unfaithful response is actually not a believer. It's somebody who professed to be a believer, but they weren't actually a believer. And it's characterized by the fact that they did not persevere, that God did not preserve them through the trials and difficulties of life. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fire and indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace. And he's not using soft language. Okay? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. What is the faithful, unfaithful response? True believers will pursue faithfulness in their duties. Now what I think he's saying is, if you're not a true believer, this can happen to you. That you would look like you are faithful for a long period of time, or a short period of time, but then when trials and difficulties come, you fall away. But a true believer will not fall away. He moves on and he says, failure to persevere is a marker of no genuine faith or genuine repentance. I don't think it's the only marker. And perseverance does not necessarily mean that there is salvation, right? We've all seen people who seem to be persevering, seem to be continuing on in the faith, and yet there just seems to be something that is missing. So I don't think that failure or perseverance is necessarily a guarantee of salvation, and nor is failure to persevere a guarantee that there is a salvation. Without Jesus' sacrifice, there is no other hope left for them. That is what verses 26 and following is saying. If you choose to reject the boldness that you have through Jesus' shed blood, if you choose to reject the great high priest and instead you choose to willfully sin by neglecting the faithful response that has been outlined, what other hope do you have? How can you boldly approach your responsibilities when you've rejected that which gives you boldness? 
There is no hope. And he, he uses very strong language, and he says that these people have trampled the Son of God underfoot. They have counted the blood of the covenant by which they were sanctified, a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace. These are not believers. These are people who have fallen away because they never came to genuine faith. He moves on. God's judgment is severe under Moses and under grace. He talks about the severity of God's judgment with Moses. And what happened with Moses' judgment? Two or three witnesses came forward and said, you did this? What happens? Especially if it was one of the willful the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified. judgment should be feared. And again, the Lord will Accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better. They are being persecuted. They're they're. Or your couch, and your dining room table, and your stove, and your fridge. What was their focus on? Where did they just bop? Focus was on the reward that Christ had promised. All that. And then he says, remain faithful. And do not do not 
cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. And yet a little while, and he... Faith. They'll pursue faithfulness. Unlike those who profess to Isn't it interesting that from here, what is he going to move into? Chapter 11. What is chapter 11 of Hebrews? The Hall of Faith, the great chapter. Trials, and he goes through an Why? Because that is what God called them to. Believer, this is what God has called us to. Faithfulness remains the same at all times. Faithfulness means that you and I will draw near, that we will hold fast the confession, that you and I will seek to find ways to encourage one another by gathering together on a regular basis. Why? Because the Christian life does not survive. It does not prosper unless we choose to join life together and to find ways to encourage and stimulate each other's spiritual growth. This is what faithfulness has been for 2,000 years. And this is what faithfulness will remain to be until Jesus chooses to come and take his church Home. This is faithfulness. Now the author of Hebrews says, The just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe the saving of the soul. What is the author of Hebrews getting at? He's getting at faithfulness will result in Sorry, faithfulness result, will result in a promise. The just wait for the promise. We will persevere in our faithfulness. What is the author of Hebrews trying to communicate to us? I think he's telling us we must remain faithful to the mission. And if we look at our lives and we're not remaining faithful to the mission, it should cause us to ask <coughs> some serious questions. What's wrong? Have we lost sight of our boldness? Have we lost sight of our great priest? Have we lost sight of how great our Jesus is, as it's been described in Hebrews? Have we lost sight of our responsibility to remain faithful, as chapter 11 makes so clearly evident? It says, draw near to the Lord in faithful worship. Faithfulness requires us. Hold fast the confession with firm hope. Why? Because this is not all there is. There is so much more than what 2021 can promise you. Because 2021, let's be honest, 
is not looking very hope-filled. You thought 2020 was bad. 2021 is the same thing. It's just part two. And if, if there was a different administration, it would be the same thing. Even with a Republican in office, this is not our hope. This is not what we have to live, live for. Our confession of hope is something that is outside of this world. And it's not swayed by the illnesses. It's not swayed by the political powers that be. It is firmly in the grasp of our Savior's hand. Hold fast to the confession of your hope. And consider others more important and care for their spiritual growth. You don't gather primarily so that you can be fed. You gather so that you can encourage and instruct others. And then finally, remember to remain faithful. The text is a call to continued faithfulness. <coughs> Will you and I choose to remain faithful this year? Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that you are so much greater than the angels, that you are so much greater than Moses, that you are so much greater than the old covenants, that your sacrifice is so much greater than the previous sacrifices. We thank you for the boldness that we have in you. We pray that we would be people who seek to draw near, who seek to hold fast, and seek to care for the needs of other believers. In your name we pray. Amen.